right. If we could get the lights. You guys can take your seat. This time I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for tonight. He's from New Philadelphia Itaewon King Bar. Uh, his name is Pastor Marcus. Just ignore this. He's a Tar Heel, and that's okay. Marcus, you want to come on up? How you guys doing tonight? You feeling good? If you're feeling good, let me hear you say, I feel good. good. Say it one more time. Say, I feel good. good. The people that know me at King Bar, like every time I step up, I'm like, you guys feel good? How you guys feel? You feel good? Say, I feel good. And so it was so weird, like just sitting there and like John Michael finishing prayer and cutting on the lights and stuff. Because like usually I'm like running around, cutting on the lights and carrying everything. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to carry it? Like I didn't know what to do, but oh, wow. It was, uh, it's different different up here preaching, but I definitely believe that the Lord has a word for you tonight. I definitely believe that the Lord has a word for you tonight. If you believe that, let me hear you say, amen. amen. Say it one more time. Say, amen. amen. I'm the kind of preacher that like when I, when I speak, I love for you to speak back. So, you know, like if you like something, say, amen, you know, like be like pastor Paul, pastor Paul would be like, say that again. You know, if he likes it, he wants to hear it again and again. And he just responds. And that's that's what I like, actually. So, you know, if you if it resonates within you, say amen. Don't don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm not going to be insulted. All right. You know, (laughs) encourage me. All right. But God is doing a big work here in Korea, isn't he? We just sat here. We're praying for North Korea. We're praying for our own churches. And the reason we're doing this is what? Because God is doing something really big here in Korea. Like he's bringing us English ministries together. He's bringing all these people from the outside, right? And we're meeting here every month. We're meeting at different places. It seems to change every month. We don't know where to go, but we're meeting together. We're not forsaking that meeting together because there is a day that is approaching here in Korea where God is going to do something so amazing that people will not believe it, even if they were told. You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. We're believing for North Korea to open up. Amen. We're believing for the orphans and the lost in North Korea to experience their freedom. Amen. We're believing for the divorce rate and the suicide rate here in Korea to go down. Amen. We're believing for God to do an amazing work here in Korea. And not for it to just happen with the KMs and for the, with, through the Korean ministries. But through you and I. Through the people that God has brought in from the outside. And I believe that tonight God is wanting to release to many of you a new level of freedom, a new level of freedom in this place so that you will be able to walk this thing out with greater boldness. You'll be able to walk it out with greater passion. So before I say anything else, let's just pray and I'm going to pray for the word. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, God, that that you love us, Lord, 
Father, and we thank you, Lord, that your love is so good, Father God, that you would call each and every one of us, Lord, here to this place tonight, God, to partake of your presence, Lord, to partake, Father God, of this fellowship, Lord, to worship you, God. Oh, Lord, and we just come with thanksgiving, Father. We come with a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise in this place, Lord. Oh, Father, and we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have its way here tonight. Lord, we pray that all, Father God, all works of distraction, all works of the enemy, Lord God, will be bound in the name of Jesus. I just declare it right now. All works of the enemy right now, I bind it in the name of Jesus. And I command them to be gone in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just decree right now, Father, in your name, Lord, I just pray for a release. God, a release of freedom in this place tonight, God. I pray, God, that tonight you would set people free tonight, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would bless, Lord God, just my mouth as I speak the word, Lord. May I speak it, Father, with boldness, Lord. Father God, I pray that all fear, all fear of man, all anxiety, Father God, will be loosened off of me right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that I would speak the word, God, that you have given for tonight, God, and that, Lord, you would do what you came here to do tonight, Father, because you are here with us tonight, God. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord God, just that, yes, yes, Holy Spirit, just have your way. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so God is going to do an amazing work here in Korea, right? I just feel it. Like, every time at King Bar, like, I feel like every time I, like, get up and preach in Itaewon, like, well, you guys know we meet at the bar in King Bar, and so we're right there around, like, the mosque is right up the street, and we have the prostitution right around us and everything. And I preach there maybe like once a month or so. And when I get up there, every time I feel like I'm like saying the same thing. I'm like, God's going to shake Korea. Amen. And I was like, Amen. And it's because God's really, he's moving. He's moving. And God's, he's moving in such an amazing way. If you read the news, if, you, if you're discerning, you can tell that God is really doing something right now. But there's, there's a problem. I believe that God wants to shape not just the land, but to touch each one of us here in this room to reveal deeper areas within us and about who we are as individuals. But there's a problem. See, there's an issue that needs to be addressed in this room today. And it's that you and I live our lives and our relationship with God and with others as orphans. That we just spent this time praying for orphans, right? But we live our lives as, a lot of times in the body of Christ as orphans. Illegitimate, neglected, broken orphans. Hurt, wounded, afraid of rejection. Orphans. Yet, I believe that God wants to speak to each one of you tonight. Where there's been that place where we've been living as orphans. He's wanting to establish us as sons. He's wanting to reveal to us our identity as sons. Open up your Bibles right now to the book of Romans. Chapter 8. We all know this passage. It's a good passage. We're going to read just two verses. Because, see, I believe God wants to speak to each one of you and, and to speak to the church as a whole about going from a place of being an orphan 
to showing us what it means to be a son. And as we see what it means to be a son, it has so much importance. It's, it's importance is so much bigger than your own personal lives. It's even, it's bigger than your church. It's bigger than this prayer movement. But it's important that we, we go beyond what it means to be an orphan and we step into what it means to be a son. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 to 15. Who's got the NIV in the house? How many people got the NIV? All right, NIV people, read verses 14 to 15. One, two, three. Amen. I'm going to, I have the ESV. I just wanted to hear the NIV. <laughs> but I have, the, I have the ESV, and so I'm going to read the ESV. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Ooh, that's a good word. Amen. Ooh, that's a good word. Mm, I ain't got to preach anymore. I just, we just, it's good. Mm. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We've all heard these verses before, right? We'll stop. We'll look at the first one, right? For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We've heard this verse before. Led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And especially like the charismatic ones in the house and stuff, we hear this verse like, led by the Spirit. Like, whoa, yes, led by the Spirit. I could pray in tongues. I can do the boom, boom, pow, power. You know, you ever seen those like Old Spice commercials, like with the, the big black guy, Terry Crews, like power, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we look at this verse and we're like, yes, by the spirit speaking in tongues, power. Yes. That means I'm a son. You know, that's, that's like, that was like my immediate thought when I read it. Like my first time reading this verse, like I was like, that's right. Holy spirit. That's what I'm talking about. Power. But Paul is talking about something even more than that. When he talks about being led by the spirit, he's talking about a full on devotion, a full on obedience to the spirit. When Paul talks about being led by the spirit, he talks about our lives being saturated with the spirit of God. Our lives being saturated with the presence of God. That in everything we do last night at at New Philly, Pastor John Newfield preached about how everything is worship that when we we offer our lives as living sacrifices to him and that everything is worship everything has a spiritual aspect to it and like that's kind of what paul's talking about here when he's saying being led by the spirit he's talking about our entire lives being led by the presence of god we want to live that kind of life amen you know it's about putting off the things of the flesh and instead being willfully devoted and carried off with the things of the spirit With the presence of the father. And it's those people. It's those people who are carried off. Who are that word that he talks about when he says being led. Like in the actual meaning. It's it's more emphatic than that. He's saying actually being led off in it. By carrying off. Carried off by the spirit. When Paul says that. He says those people who are led and carried off by the spirit. They are sons of God. 
It's those people who are led by the father's presence and not by the absence of it, not by the things of this flesh who are sons of God. As I was meditating on this first verse and I was thinking about being led by the spirit of God, being led by the presence of God, being led and guided by the spirit of the father, the presence of the father. I thought about how so many things go wrong in the church when we're not led by the presence of the father. How about how so many things go wrong when we don't have the presence of the father, when we don't have his spirit there with us, not just in a spiritual sense, but think about it even in a natural sense. So many things go wrong when you don't have the presence of the father, right? You don't have a father there leading you and guiding you, leading you through everything, that, through your, your ups and downs, leading you through your trials and tribulations. So many things go wrong when we don't have the presence of the father. You know, uh, one of the brothers at our church did a seminar on the orphan spirit and he he had these different statistics about about fatherless children. And as he as he put out these statistics, it was shocking thinking about what happens in a place where you don't have the presence of a father. It said 63 percent of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Ninety percent of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Eighty five percent of all children with behavioral disorders from fatherless homes. Eighty percent of all rapists motivated by displaced anger, fatherless homes. Seventy one percent of all high school dropouts, they come from fatherless homes. Seventy five percent of all adolescent patients and chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Seventy percent of juveniles in state operated institutions come from fatherless homes. And eighty five percent of all youth that are sitting in the prisons today, they grew up in fatherless homes. They grew up in places where they did not have their father around. My own testimony is one that I did. I didn't grow up with my father around before I even left the hospital. My father was gone. And my entire life was defined by not having a father there, not being led by the presence of a father in the house. And it's. It's the same way in the church. So many of us. We we're not led by the spirit of God. We're not led by the presence of the father. We're led by other things. And we end up in the places of bitterness, hurt, feeling illegitimate, feeling broken. And it's because we lack the presence of the father. But Paul, he talks about, he says. But all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. When you have the presence of God, you are a son of God. And when Paul talks about being a son of God, what does that mean, being a son? What does it mean to really be a son? This is a question I've been asking myself the older I get, because I'm realizing in order to become a man, you've got to first know what it means to be a son. And I've been asking, what does it mean to be a son? And what does it mean to be a son of God? But, you know, so many of us have a warped and misunderstood. We don't understand what it means to be a son. We just think, you know, being a son means you're born a boy. You, you have a you have a Y chromosome. Therefore, you are a son. You know, like we have this. We don't understand really what it means to be a son. And it, nowadays, even just being a son, it, it's been so shifted and so mixed around that it has no weight. Right. 
because it's just been, we don't, we don't understand. But see, Paul, when he talks about what, what it means to be a son, when Paul talks about being a son, he talks about a son being a, at a place of privilege. When Paul says here that all who are led by the spirit are sons of God, that word son, it meant that they were the, the son was the pride of the family. The son, the son, when the son was born in this time, the son was the pride of the family. Everyone rejoiced about having a son. I know sisters like, don't look at me, like give me these looks because I'm talking about sonship. (laughs) But sons were the pride of the family. They were the ones who followed their father into the workforce. If their father had a job, if their father was out cutting wood, he would grab his son and take his son with him. It was the son who was, the son was such a big help to do work. The son received all the honor. The son received the blessing. The son received all of these things. Even in, you look in the Old Testament times, the son was seen as a gift from God. He was a son. We got a son. You know, they inherit the duties and honor of their father. They go on and they do the exact jobs that they see their father doing. And so when Paul is talking about what it means to be a son, he is using a term that carries so much weight in his mind as he writes it. He's he's talking about something that carries so much prestige and honor when he says that if you're led by the Spirit of God, if you're led by the Father's presence, then you are a son of God. And like I said, sisters, I don't want you to think that I'm just talking. This isn't like a message just for the brothers. You know, because we all know that there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That we are all sons of God. Amen. Everyone just say it. I am a son of God. Ooh, that, that sounded like more sisters. I guess there's more sisters in the house. I am a son of God. All right. Amen. And, but there, and there was one more aspect of being a son that we need to understand. Being a son meant that we were always, con- that you are always connected to the father. When you, when someone said, that is my son, that meant that they were, they were automatically connected with the father. That when you saw that son, you thought about who his daddy was. When you saw that, that son received everything and it came through the line of the father. It was from the father that you learned the task. It was from the father that you learned discipline. It was from the father, the father that you received honor and blessing and learned how to push forward. It was all through the father. The son was always understood to be connected to the father. And when you're under the father, you learn all these things, right? You learn honor. You learn blessing. You learn the value of work and perseverance. You learn boldness and courage. But when you're living a life without the presence of the father, do you know what you have? You have orphans. You know, you know what else you have? You have mama's boys. Uh Oh, oh, snap. I said mama's boys. Oh, snap. You guys know the term mama's boy? I'm going to use the term because when I was younger, everyone was like, you a mama's boy. And I was like, yes, I am. Until I got older. And I was like, no, I'm not. Why are you calling me a mama's boy? No mama's boy. But I just want to speak it out right now that the church is filled today with too many mama's boys and not enough father's sons. 
And this isn't a word just for the men. This is a word for each and every person here in this place. The church today is filled with too many mama's boys and not enough father's sons. You notice when Jesus walked into Nazareth, you know what they called Jesus when he walked in? They called him a mama's boy. Hey, yo, ain't that Mary's? Ain't that Mary's kid? You notice no one said that. Isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that Mary's boy? That characterized their unbelief. That characterized how they looked at him. How low they looked at Jesus. Isn't that Mary's boy? You notice no one walks around saying, like, mama's son or mama's man. You know, no one's like, you, you mama's son? You know, like daddy's girl. Like, everyone loves the term daddy's girl. Like, you know, it's like sisters, they'll get that. They'll have it put on, like, the back of their car. Like a sticker. Like, daddy's girl. I'm daddy's girl. I'm daddy's girl. No brother will ever get a sticker that says mama's boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to get a tattoo that says mama's boy. Why is that? Because mama's boy is associated with being fearful, with being weak. Mama's boy is associated with being someone who can't take a task and finish it. And that's not a son. A mama's boy. Is a manifestation of the orphan spirit. You know, like as a kid, whenever bad stuff would happen, the first person you'd run to wouldn't be dad, right? It would be mom. Like you stub your toe and you run it, Mama! You'd never run up to dad and be like, Dad, I stubbed my toe! So what would dad say? Mom would be like, Oh, let me get you a band aid. Let me help you. Oh, are you, are you okay? Dad would be like, What's wrong with your toe? Well, rise up, rise up. You got it. You, your toes are right. A father would say, son, press through. Son, you can do better. Son, you're more than a conqueror. I've given you my honor. I've given you everything that you need to accomplish everything that you set out to do. Son, rise up. But so many of us in the church today, when we experience pain, when we experience suffering, We have an orphan spirit to us, don't we? We have a mama's boy mentality. I'll keep saying mama's boy if it offends your mind. Because what is it? It will offend the mind to reveal the heart. We want to run to the place where we can feel sorry for ourselves. When God's causing us to be sons. God's calling us to be Father's sons. You know, it's a manifestation of the orphan mentality. Motivated by fears, motivated by our own desires. And we're trying our hardest to make our way out of these things. We're not walking around as sons of the father, but as orphans. And Paul, Paul knows exactly that. You know, if you look before that, Paul talks all about not being succumbed under the things of the flesh, not giving yourself over to the things of the flesh and gratifying yourself through the flesh. He says, no, but those who are led by the spirit are sons of God. Because he's talking, he's trying to show the difference there. And he continues on. He says what in the next verse, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I believe that when Paul was writing this, Paul was thinking about mama's boys. Paul was thinking about the orphan mentality. 
He was thinking about the church and how they had had an orphan mentality. They did not know who they were as sons. Because when Paul talks about the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, it's not just talking about some kind of irrational fear. Like we read this verse and a lot of times like I'm just like, you know, being afraid of walking down the street at night, you know, like a dark alley or being afraid of like when I was little, when I was a little boy, I used to have these like terrifying dreams of, um, do you know the alphabet cereal? You know, you know that cereal? Maybe I'm confessing too much. Like the marshmallow cereal, like they, the marshmallows in the color of men. I used to have these nightmares that these marshmallows would come into my room and take me away. So all, all the men are like, Psh, rise up, brother. What are you talking about? And I used to think that Paul was just talking about just irrational terror, just fear. But he says the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's talking about a specific thing, a specific type of slavery. See, this this word slavery, this word slave, the Jews, they had an understanding that a slave was someone who could not pay his or her debt on their own. And therefore, they had sold themselves or they had been given unto slavery. You know. And not just that, but when Paul was writing this to the people, they understood that he was talking about. People who are trying their hardest to pay this debt on their own. That's how they'd become slaves to fear. Because they had had these debts that they realized they could not pay on their own. And therefore they tried to earn it back. They had sold themselves into slavery trying to earn back the things that they realized they did not have. They had tried, they had sold themselves into slavery to try to earn back the things that they did not have. No, but I want you to really understand that slavery came out of fear. It came out of a fear of failure. It came out of a fear of rejection. It came out of a fear that that they saw themselves. They looked at themselves in the mirror and they realized that they had a debt that they could not pay back. And therefore, they were going to try to pay back that debt on their own. When Paul was thinking of a slave, he was thinking of someone who had a debt who tried to pay it back. And so many of us in the church today, we have our eyes fixed upon the debt that we have, don't we? We have our eyes fixed upon the debt that is upon our lives, the sinful lifestyle that we have, how we're lacking. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves. And what do we see? We see lack, don't we? We get up in the morning and we see our own reflection. And we don't see the glory of God. We don't see God's creation. We're not looking at ourselves like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We look at ourselves and we. We see what? We see hurt. We see pain. We see shame. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see our sin. We see this debt. This weight that is upon us. We see this weight that is tearing us down, that is upon us, this, this huge weight, because we realize that we are not who we're supposed to be. That we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, man, I'm not who God had made me to be. I'm not who I want to be. I don't look the way that I look. I want to look. I don't I don't act the way I want to act. I don't sing the way I want to sing. I don't relate to people in the way that I wish I relate to people. 
I'm not the person, God, that you made me to be. And so what does that bring? It brings about fear. It brings about the fear of rejection. It brings about a fear that God will look at us and he will see our debt. He will see how broken we are. He will see how awful we are when we look at ourselves in the mirror and he will turn his back away. He will reject us. We look in the mirror and we say, we see this lack, we see this orphan part of ourselves. And we're afraid not just that God will reject us, but that every single person that we encounter will. We wonder what will happen to us if we can never pay it back. See, the root of this orphan spirit is the fear of rejection. The root of us walking around as orphans and not as sons. It's not pride. It's not arrogance. It's not us. It's not habitual sin. It's not anger. It's not all these other things. It's a fear of rejection. When you walk down the street or you walk into your church building or any time you come before God, are you motivated by a fear of rejection? I realize that so often I looked at the people outside of the church as the orphans. They don't know Jesus. They don't they don't know who he is. Look at them. They're up in the clubs. They're drink, doing the drinking. They're dancing. They're orphans. I'm not saying anything's wrong. With I'm just saying that this was my mentality. I looked at them. I said, they're orphans. But the person who is in the club in the bar and won't come to church because they fear that when they step through the door, God will reject them. It's just as broken and just as much of an orphan as the person who stays in the prayer closet and reads their Bible religiously and does all these things because they fear that if one day they happen to stop, that God is going to reject them. Are you hearing me? All of us have this understanding that on some level things are not the way they should be. But instead of running to God and instead of finding ourselves in his presence and being led by his spirit, we're running and trying to find to fill the gap with our own righteousness. That's what Paul was talking about. He was talking about religion. He was talking, telling the church not to try and strive to make yourself righteous. Don't get so filled with this fear of failure and rejection that you try to work yourself back into God's good graces because that is slavery. That isn't freedom. That's slavery. And we use our own ways and it manifests itself in in a couple ways. I'll talk about three because I know this is heavy. (laughs) It manifests itself in insecurity. 
we look at ourselves as less than, right? Not worthy of affection. Not worthy of anything. Not worthy. And as a result, we try to control the relationships around us. Because we fear that if the people see us for who we really are, they'll reject us. We don't step into the fullness of who God has called us to be and made us to be. Because we're insecure. Or we're filled with distrust. Because we've been hurt in the past. Because someone has hurt us in the past. And therefore we build these huge walls up. And it's not just a wall that we build up with the person around us. But the walls we build up with God as well. Because there's this huge distrust. Because we believe that if we let those walls down, we're just going to get hurt again. We can't extend ourselves in that way because if, if I let this wall down, I'm just going to get let down again. This is an area where I, I feel I struggle with the most. You know, my testimony was one where I was abused for the first 15 years or so of my life in my family. And by the time it came around to start having real relationships with people, I had these huge walls up. Huge walls up, so insecure and so unable to trust anyone, unable to trust God. You know, I'd read, I read the word of God and I'd read the promises of God and I would read when God says that when God would say there's no more condemnation, that he says that he works all things around for the good of those who love him, that he says that his plans for us are to prosper and not harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And I would say, God, I don't believe you. I would say amen with my mouth and in my heart, I would have unbelief. Because there's so much distrust, so much insecurity, so much of a fear of rejection. I believe, God, you see me for who I really am. You see all things. Then you must know that I am not worth any of this. You must know. So you're going to take it away as soon as you see this sin, as soon as you see this thing. And I will be hurt again, abandoned, an orphan. Or detachment. We run away from everything. We run away from God. We look at people who, who, who leave the church or who go out and we say that they're just filled with all kinds of sin. They're just a lost sheep. They're just that one in whom Jesus is wanting to leave the 99 to go get. Because the only way they can deal with their problems is to run away from it. They believe if they step into the doors of the church, people are going to see them. They're going to see the sinner written across their forehead and reject them. And see, Paul addresses all of this. He says, you did not receive this spirit of slavery. This is not yours. This spirit of slavery to fall back into fear is not yours. It is not something that God has given you. He says, what does he say? What does he say? He keeps going. He says, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That you are not an orphan. That you don't have to walk around with your head down. You don't have to walk around enslaved to fear. 
Because you have been adopted. You are a son. When Paul uses this word adoption, it means the exact same thing as it means to be to just be a son. When he said, be, when you are adopted, you are brought all the way into the family. You know, in America and in the West, we have this jacked up view of adoption. Our view of adoption is that you are a second class son. You are a second class child. That you are brought in, you, you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, you don't act like me, therefore you are not me. And therefore, when we read this verse and we hear what it means to be adopted, we look at it as a second class sonship. That God didn't really bring me all the way into the house. He didn't really put his robe on me. He didn't really give me the signet ring. He didn't really bring me in. I'm just adopted. And even when we read this verse, we think of ourselves as still being orphans. But God is saying, no. You are are not an orphan. You have been adopted. You are a son. You have all the rights that a son has. You have all the privileges that a son has. You have all the honor that a son has. You don't have to have your head held down. You can have your head held high because you are a son. But it has one more thing than that. Not just that you get all the rights and privileges, beloved, but you are chosen. Being adopted means that God looked at you and he deliberately chose you. He looked at you and he said, you are not an orphan. You are not broken. You are not dejected. You are not rejected. You are chosen. You are my child. You are my son. As son, not like a son. You are my son. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Everything, everything that a son has, being born into it, we have. Even though we were once dead, even though we may have once been orphans, we are now adopted. You are no longer an orphan. You don't have to live like an orphan. You don't have to walk into your church feeling like you are less than because you lack nothing. You lack nothing. So many of us, we are we are locked into this spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And we are like the the elder son, right? In the story of the prodigal son. Father, I've been working and I've been working and I've been working and I've been working. Yet you give it to someone else. But the father looks at us and he says, son, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. You lack nothing. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to push your way through to it. It's yours. You know, the notion, this fact that God chooses you is so important because it's going to set some of you guys free. The fact that God chose you is so important because you didn't start it. 
You becoming a son, you didn't start it. You didn't initiate it. It's not up to you. Your status as a son is not up to you. Do you know that? If God chose you, if God adopted you, it's not up to you. Therefore, the rest of it isn't up to you either. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So many of us think that we have to do it. And that's us still fearing rejection. But it didn't start with you and it's not up to you. So be set free from that right now. It's not up to us, you know, it says in Jude, it says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his very presence with great joy. It's not now to you. It's now to him. When God shows you by his grace, he also empowers you. He also gives you everything you need as a son. So don't strive for it any longer. He just wants to relate with you. And that's why he continues on. He says, for the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry. Abba, father. We don't have to walk in that orphan spirit. We don't have to be slaves anymore. But it's not just that we, we go from being slaves to freed men. And then just the sons. But it's that we are in the place of sonship. That is so intimate. That when he says Abba Father. You know who else used that word? Jesus. Jesus used that word. Jesus looked at the father and he called him Abba. It's a word that a child would use to address their father. But. More than the little child addressing the father, focus on the fact that Jesus addressed the father in Abba. What is Paul saying? You know, when Jesus prayed, he prayed that we would experience the same love from God, the father that the father had for Jesus. And what Paul is saying right here is that it was already done. It's done. The transaction has been made. You can come before him now and you can call him Abba, Father. It's a level of relationship, a level of intimacy now that you can step fully into. Like, because God wants you to go all the way in. God wants you to go all the way into that place of relationship. And he doesn't want you to stand at the door. Anymore. So many of us, we, we read that word, you know, it's better to be, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. And then we stop right there and we say, I would rather just stand at the door. Lord, just keep me at the door. But that's a servant. A doorkeeper is a servant. A doorkeeper is a slave. God doesn't say, I just stand at the door. 
You're the welcome mat. You're the greeting. No, he says, come on in. You can share that same relationship with me that Jesus himself shared with me. And for many of us, that that doesn't that still may not even set right. And so what I want you to do is I want you to be asking yourself. Where is it? What is it within you? That rejects this good news. What is it within you that rejects? Walking fully. Into this place of relationship with God. A couple months or not a couple months ago, it's been almost exactly a year. And. A guy by the name of Del Augusta came to New Philadelphia Church. And he came to New Philly and he talked about. He came and he he spoke and. He began to prophesy about the root of idolatry in Korea. He began to prophesy about what the root of idolatry was here in Korea. And you know what he said the root of idolatry was in Korea? It wasn't Buddhism. It wasn't Confucianism. It wasn't materialism. It wasn't lust. It was the orphan spirit. The root of idolatry is the orphan spirit. The root of idolatry is this fear of rejection. Because what happens is you fear rejection so much that you will go to anything to receive that affirmation. You fear rejection so much that you will go and you will go and fill yourself with anything. You know, in North Korea, the orphan spirit has such a hold there that they look at Kim Il-sung and what do they call him? Father. Why? It's because they, they need that affirmation. There's a need there for affirmation. There's a need there to be loved. There's a need to be affirmed. There's a need to receive that and no, not to be rejected. Here in Korea, you have this all these different things that are happening here. You have like, you know, you walk in Korea and like if one person starts wearing Ray-Bans, then everyone's going to wear Ray-Bans. Like you have like this like consumerism, this materialism that is just so widespread. And we think like, bring down the God of materialism. Bring down the, the demon of materialism. <laughs> when the root of it is that It's just orphans walking around. Each and every place you go. You're not interacting with people who are. Are just deep down in sin because. It's because there's a part in them that needs to be filled. There's a part in them that is fearing rejection. And so they try to feel it. In any way they can. But before we go out to anywhere else, before we go out to the streets and we tell people that you're no longer orphans, but sons, we need to get it in here first. We need to get it deep down within us that we are no longer orphans. But that God has chosen us. He has adopted us and he has brought us fully by the riches of his grace. He has brought us fully
into that place of relationship with him. I want us to just take some time right now. And I just want us to go into a time of prayer. If Isaac, if you could come, if you could come up. Even as I was preaching, I sensed it in the air that there's there's many of you who who uh, who have been living your lives just given over to a spirit of slavery to fall into fear. That there's just such a deep, deep fear of rejection, a deep, deep fear that people will see you and they'll reject you. That God sees you for who you really are and that God rejects you. But I want you to know in this place tonight that God, he looks at you and he rejoices over you. The word says that as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That he lavishes singing over you. He rejoices over you. The word says, see what kind of love that the father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God and that we are. What I want us to do right now is. If you feel that that God is calling you to come out, to come fully out of this place of this orphan spirit. And truly just to step into this place of sonship. I want you to stand to your feet. Wherever you're at, I want you to stand to your feet. There's many of you who didn't have your father in your house. Your dad, your, your dad wasn't there. He wasn't there and he wasn't around and, and you grew up with all kinds of confusion as to who you really were about what it meant to be you. But I feel like tonight God is wanting to release just the spirit of adoption as sons in this place. And he's wanting to loosen off the orphan spirit. Because you can't go out and set someone else free. If you yourself are a slave. Slaves can't set other slaves free. It's sons. It's about sonship. So what I want us to do right now is all across this room. If, if, you're, if you are near someone who is standing up. I want you to just get up to your feet. And I want you to get around those people. And I want you. Because we are all one body. And I want us to, I believe that there is a corporate blessing that can be released in a place. And I want you to begin to pray over these people. And I want you to pray for the Father's blessing over each and every person in this place. I want you to pray to, to pray to cast off the orphan spirit. And I want you to begin to pray the Father's blessing. The spirit of adoption as a son. I want you to begin to release that in this place right now. 
all across this room right now. Let's just begin to open up our mouths and pray for the people next to us.